It's March 18, and I haven't yet said anything about this whole Obamacare proposal. Partly because I don't totally understand the specifics or the implications. I am also not going to go and say that President Obama is the worst thing that could have happened to the United States. But I want to read you part of what I wrote in my opening commentary four years ago as President Obama was being elected. I joked about how Obama may make the United States a bit more like Canada. Here's a bit of what I wrote. Thinking about it, bringing in a more Canadian-style healthcare, that's good stuff, but not everyone is happy. The change Mr. Obama has promised already included lifting the ban on American aid to organizations that promote or perform abortions in the third world. He also has promised to sign the new Freedom of Choice Act, which will remove all limitations to abortion across the country. Parents would no longer need to give consent for their teenage daughters to have abortions. They don't even have to know. Partial birth abortion would come back, and the victims of unborn violence and the Born Alive Acts would be struck down. That was four years ago. Now, what can we say about this administration? I'm Pedro Guevara Man, and this is Salt and Light Radio. Hello and welcome to Salt and Light Radio. I'm Pedro Guevara Man. Today we're joined again by Mark Matthews. He's our Hollywood undercover missionary. He's going to tell us what's good in Hollywood. And Sheridan will be joining us for the diocesan update, as well as Andrew Santos, who will be here with our Saint of the Week. That's all in about 20 minutes. Um, and Chris Dimitrenko is sitting here with me. Chris, what's in our headlines this week? Well, we're going to be talking about Syria. Um, the church has issued an important statement about it. Um, also, I'm, I'm sure you've heard about this video, Kony 2012. Uh, absolutely, yes. And uh, and one of the bishops of Uganda has uh, has commented on the video. It's a controversial video. Hmm. And uh, and finally, um, there were bells in St. Peter's Square this past Wednesday, and I'll tell you why. Okay, looking forward to hearing the details on those stories. That's all coming up very soon. Now, Chris, um, have you heard of this new film that's coming out, October Baby? Yeah, there's been some buzz about it. Yeah, there mm -hmm. was, a, uh, I think, a limited release uh, about a year ago, mm -hmm. and uh, there's lots of great stuff. I'm very excited about, about this film, and I'm excited because I will be speaking with the filmmakers. It's a, a brother team, John and Andrew Irwin, uh, about the film. So that's going to be coming up in our second half hour. And uh, as you know, the Holy Father will be in Mexico. That's uh, right, from week. the 23rd to the 28th. So we thought that it was a good excuse to actually feature an artist from Mexico. Oh. So we get a chance to uh, to speak with Martin Valverde, who's probably one of the most popular Catholic singer-songwriters in Latin America. Mm. So he's our feature artist this week. He'll get a chance to speak with us a little bit about the state of the church in Mexico and what they're doing to prepare for the Holy Father, and also share his music with us. So we'll start with one of his songs. This one is called Toda Vida Es Sagrada, which means... I guess, in, very in, in sync with October Baby, it means every life is sacred. No te voy a andar con muchas vueltas Vos sabes de que te quiero hablar Si una vida golpea tu puerta Tan solo vos podés dejarla entrar Sé bien que yo no soy quien para hablarte Tal vez ni me quieras escuchar Yo no estoy aquí para juzgarte Tan solo hay cosas que no puedo callar Ciertas cosas no se deben callar Creo que toda vida es sagrada Toda nueva vida bajo el sol Cada vida engendra la esperanza Aún concebida en medio del dolor Y es que toda vida es sagrada Toda nueva vida bajo el sol Cada vida merece la vida 
which translates to every life is sacred. If you're looking for a great way to introduce the topic of relationships and sex with your teenager, remember that authors Brett Salkeld and Leah Perot have a great book titled How Far Can You Go? It's available now through Amazon.com. And Chris, uh, you're still here with us. So mm -hmm. uh, any developments in Syria, eh? Well, as you know, there's been a... Um, a UN envoy together with the Arab League led by Kofi Annan. Mm -hmm. uh, they're on a peace mission in Syria meeting with the government and as well uh, as the opposition. And Annan's been urging an immediate end to bloodshed in the country. The UN estimates that more than 8,000 people have died yeah. since protests began one year ago. Now the Apostolic Nuncio to Syria uh, Arch Archbishop Mario Zanari, he's echoing Anand's sentiments. Now, the Apostolic Nuncio, he's the Vatican diplomat to Syria. So this is... Uh, like an ambassador. Like an ambassador. So this is, you can consider it an official statement. Mm -hmm. And he spoke with uh, Vatican Radio this week. And he said that killing of civilians must stop immediately. And the international community must give a clear message that this situation is simply unacceptable. Now, he added that it's difficult to know what is really happening and who is really responsible for all the killing. Um, as you know, um, journalists haven't been allowed in. There's very few journalists left in uh, the country, certainly in that area of the country. Now, uh, he was critical of the UN. He said that with due respect, sometimes it seems that instead of being called the United Nations, it is the divided nations. And he hopes that the UN can... Uh, come together, um, certainly Security Council divided with Russia and China um, against any kind of statement that doesn't criticize also the rebel forces. Now, um, we, we talked about this issue last week on Perspectives Weekly on Salt and Light mm -hmm. Television. And uh, it's interesting to note that most Christians, most Syrian Christians, tend to support the regime largely for fears of religious persecution uh, if there's a new Sunni-led regime. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, it's a complex situation. It's a little bit different than what we've seen in Egypt and uh, Tunisia in terms of where the Christians stand. Yeah. Now, finally, Pedro, have you seen this video, uh, Akoni 2012? Yes, yes I have. Uh, what did you think about it? <sighs> yeah, well, it's a very powerful message. It kind of took me a while to, I mean, to get into the video to figure mm -hmm. out what the, point, the whole point of the video was. But it's, I mean, how can you disagree with the way they present that message? Yes, yeah, so certainly, I mean... I mean, certainly everybody can agree that uh, that, that uh, Joseph Coney is, is a you know, terrible individual if, if even any of even some of the claims made against him are true. Mm -hmm. um, he is the head of the Lord's Resistance Army who have been fighting the Ugandan, Ugandan government since 1987. And uh, reportedly in 25 years, they've 
uh, kidnapped over 20,000 children from tribes and villages uh, and exploited boys and girls for prostitution. Um, now, this video that's been made about him has generated 76 million views, mm-hmm. and the goal is to essentially make him famous so that the international community does something about it, and that eventually uh, Joseph Coney would be brought to justice. Now, some critics uh, say that um, uh, the video doesn't make it clear that the conflict has diminished considerably in recent years, and that uh, bringing him to justice is, is a really, really complicated um, now, what does the local church have to say about it? Well, Monsignor Juan Jose Aguirre, who is the bishop, uh, one of the bishops in Uganda, uh, he welcomed the video, and the church is, is you know, happy that it's, it's bringing the issue uh, attention. And he says that uh, for many years the church in Uganda emphasized this phenomenon, but nothing has happened. And now that the monster has woken up, may God make it disappear forever. So he's saying that that you know, now that people know about it, now that it's open for everybody to hear about it, maybe finally something can be done and this man can be mm-hmm. brought to justice. Uh, now lastly, um, as you know, the International Eucharistic Congress is, is coming, coming up, up later yes, this year. In June. And the last one was in Quebec City back in, uh, when was that, Pedro? It was 2008. 2008. That's right. Well, the Pope received um, a special bell this Wednesday related to the U- International Eucharistic Congress. Um, the bell calls for people around the world to, to come to Dublin for this big event. It's an Irish tradition. Apparently, St. Patrick left a bell in each church he consecrated as a way to call people to the Eucharist. Now, um, a quarter million Irish pilgrims have already rung this special bell as it has traveled around Ireland, and uh, a delegation from Ireland uh, brought it to the Pope. It included Archbishop Jeremiah Martin, who is the Archbishop of mm-hmm. Dublin, and uh, Father Kevin Dorn, the, the Secretary General of the Congress. Now, the bell will also be taken, uh, was taken into St. Peter's Basilica and rung at each of the Masses. And it's part of a Ring for Renewal campaign um, as they prepare for this big event, which will take place from June 10th to 17th. Now, also, the delegation gave the Pope a bowl of Irish shamrock to celebrate St. Patrick's Day. And uh, in other news, St. Patrick's Day is still not a solemnity. Uh-huh. Apologies to those who gave up alcohol for Lent. Uh, well, thank you very much, Chris. Chris Dimitrenko, our Salt and Light Radio News producer. Again, if you'd like to comment on anything that you hear on this program, we'd love to hear from you. Radio at saltandlighttv.org. I'm Julian Cantor, and you're listening to Salt and Light Radio. I'm Pedro Guevara Man. Our website is saltandlighttv.org slash radio. And if you're looking to see what's good about Hollywood, stay tuned because our Hollywood undercover missionary, Mark Matthews, will be here shortly to tell us all about it. But before that, Saint of the Week with Andrew Santos. Andrew. Happy St. Patrick's Day to you. Happy St. Patrick's (laughs) Day to you, too. Good. So other than St. Patrick today, so who's our saint this week? Uh, week? St. Turibius of Mogravejo. St. Turibius of Mogrevejo. I think I just butchered okay. that accent. No, 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 that was pretty good. Close. That's Close good. Enough. I'm sure most people have never heard of this guy, so who is he? Okay. Together with, we all know about St. Rose of Lima, Yeah. our dear friend Turibius is the first known saint of the New World. Okay. He served the Lord in Peru, South America, for 26 years. Very and this good. is a... This is an added bonus for our technical director, yes, Javier, Javier Capella. Yes, Javier Capella is our sound engineer and technical director. He's behind the microphone here. Sorry, not behind the microphone, behind the console here. And he's Peruvian. Yes, and we had a little so. discussion about St. Turibius uh, nice. before, this, uh, before this saint update. Okay, good. So here we go. Uh, St. Turibius was born in the kingdom of Leon uh-huh. in Spain. In Spain. He had his education done in law. And he was such a brilliant scholar that he was made professor of law at the University of Salamanca. Mm-hmm and eventually became chief judge of the Inquisition at Granada. Okay. He succeeded in everything he put his mind to. He was just that kind of person. But he was not sharp enough a lawyer to prevent some surprising events that ended up happening in his life. Uh So when the Archdiocese of Lima in Peru required a new leader, a new bishop, Turibius was chosen to fill the post as their bishop, and Mm -hmm. he was only 43 years old. Mm Mm-hmm. He was the only person, he was the one person that had the ability, the character, 
the holiness, and let's not forget about the spirit mm -hmm. to heal the scandals that had affected, that had infected Peru at that time. Uh -huh. So he cited all the canons that forbade giving laymen ecclesiastical dignities. Okay. Uh, but he was overruled in the end. So he was ordained priest and bishop, sent to Peru, where he found colonialism mm -hmm. at its worst. Yeah. The Spanish conquerors were guilty of every sort of oppression you could think of, Pedro, towards uh, the native population. Yeah. Abuses among the clergy were there. They were evident. But Turibius devoted his energies and suffering to the area first. So he began visiting the large archdiocese because Lima was, was pretty big of an archdiocese. Mm -hmm. He studied the language and he stayed two or three days in each place. And he hardly had a place to sleep, to lay his head mm -hmm. or to eat. He confessed every morning to his chaplain. He celebrated Mass. Among those that he gave the Sacrament of Confirmation to was St. Rose of Lima. Interesting. Yeah, and uh, possibly St. Martin de Porres. Mm -hmm. After the year 1590, he had the help of another great missionary, St. Francis Salinas. Uh -huh. His people, though they were very poor, they were very sensitive, dreading to accept public charity from others. So Terribius solved that problem by not making him self known to the people. Mm -hmm. He donated anonymously. Archbishop Terribius, he became really ill in the year 1606. He sort of sensed that his death was coming soon. So with that, he decided that his possessions should be distributed to the poor. He died in March. He died on March 23rd and his body was found to be incorrupt the next year. Mm -hmm. He was declared a saint in the year 1726 and is now regarded as the patron of native people's rights and of Latin American bishops. Interesting. So March 23rd, think of St. Terribius of Mogrevejo. Very good. San, Santoribio de Mogrevejo. There you go yes. in Spanish. March 23rd, thank you very much. Uh, that's a saint that I'm sure most people had not heard of. Uh, and a shout out to all our Peruvian listeners out there. Thank you very much, Andrew. Andrew Santos, our saint expert. In about five minutes, what's happening across our country with Sheridan. So stay tuned. Hey, this is Andrew Peloso with Effects of Grace. And you're listening to Salt and Light Radio. I'm Pedro Guevara Man. Coming up is Sheridan with her diocesan update. But first... What's good about Hollywood with our Hollywood undercover missionary, Mark Matthews? Mark. What's Hello, good? Pedro. How are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. What's good in Hollywood this week? Well, there is lots good, and there's a new exciting project coming up that uh, I want to talk to you about. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that previously we've been talking about a lot of, like, bigger projects, you know, things with, like, $30 million budgets, you know, like right, Derby like Dragons or Little yeah. Boy. But uh, I want to talk about, you know, getting down to the ground, almost at the grassroots level. Yeah. Um, guerrilla filmmaking, yeah. um, that it still is very possible to, to make good films uh, with, on a very low budget. Yeah. Um, and uh, an example that, you know, from a few years ago that a lot of people have heard about is one called The Human Experience. Oh, yeah. Um, that was done by a production company, appropriately named Grassroots Films, yep. out of New York. Mm -hmm. And it was a couple brothers, and they did it on almost no budget. Mm -hmm. And they got, uh, I think, Sony to distribute it for them. Yeah, excellent. But they're in New York. They're not in, uh, in Hollywood, so where's the link? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who cares about New York? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, what's good about Hollywood? Not what's, so good, what's about good New York. What's good about Hollywood? Um, there's a project actually that uh, a couple of guys here are putting together, and it's appropriately called "What's Up." That's like "What's Up," you know, like from the beer commercials. Like the "What's Up," yeah, in LA. And it's a, it's a think about it. It's a sitcom that they're producing, and you can think of it as a Latino Cosby show. Uh, okay, I like it already. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Um, and the uh, way you can kind of think about it, it's a story about a Cuban family who moves from Miami to Los Angeles uh -huh. to support their son's acting career and kind of all the funny, you know, things that happen, you know, intercultural differences, you know, modern technology and stuff like that. Uh -huh. But uh, I know the guys who are doing it, and they also want to promote strong family values. Really? So, yeah, exactly. So, you know, this isn't a show that's going to have, like, a really strong, left-leaning, liberal agenda or anything like that. Good. So, so yeah, this is just going to be good, wholesome fun with, like, a Latino twist to it. 
Um, <clears throat> now, the cool thing about this, kind of keeping with the theme here of grassroots film production, yeah. is how they're planning on funding this. Now, I don't. You might have heard of a website called Kickstarter. Yes, I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Kickstarter is kind of the new rage, um, and you can think of it as social networking meets venture capitalism. Uh-huh. And basically, the way it works is if you have a project or a business that you want to get funding for, um, you post a video. Um, there's of course a, a committee at Kickstarter that screens these things just to make sure, you know, people aren't ripping off their money or anything. Uh-huh. Um, but you can you can go, you can look at the projects, you can say, oh, hey, that's a great project. I want to support that. I'm going to donate, you know, 50 bucks to them or something like that. Uh-huh. And then what typically happens is you'll get entitlement to, you know, early, you right, know, product yes. releases or you'll get a DVD or something like that. Right, so you're or actually, yeah. like a partial ownership in the company. Exactly, so you um, so it's not a donation, but like you might, if it's a CD or something, you might get, you're actually buying the CD, but before the CD is produced. Exactly, yeah. exactly. You're buying the CD, but before the CD is produced. It's a great way if you're like, yes, this is a show that I want to support, that this has the values I want to, uh, you know, help, you know, get out there. It's awesome. So is it for What's Up in LA, they're actually going to be going live with their Kickstarter campaign this uh, St. Patrick's Day, which I believe is the day after this airs. Okay, so, so I so, encourage people go check it out. Um, I think they're trying to raise fifty thousand um, dollars. But wow. go to their website, which is What's Up in LA, and that's E N, not I N. Yeah, so W A E N L A A W A S S U P E N L A dot com. Can you just quickly tell me about who these guys are? This Rodolfo Zales and Carlos de la Viga, because you said you know them. Yeah, so I, I know them. They're both friends of mine. Um, Carlos's story is, I think, is a, is a great example of how to become a filmmaker. Um, he actually studied engineering, but he loved uh, filmmaking. And so, to learn the art of filmmaking, he he comes from Nicaragua. He wrote, produced, wrote, and directed uh, a, a film, feature length film, in Nicaragua, and then went uh, out onto the streets. Uh, I think it was Miami, where they're like the Nicaraguan community is, and yeah. sold his DVDs, you know, just to passerbys and people who are part of the community, and they loved it, and he made all of his production costs back. So, mm. uh, yeah, and so then uh, uh, Rodolfo is also a friend, and they've been collaborating on films and projects for a long time, and they just said, hey, this is something we feel really passionate about. This is a kind of uh, show that we want out there, so hey, let's just do it. Let's make it happen. Nice, good. Okay, cool. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. So if people want to find out more about what's up in L.A., and they can support the Kickstarter campaign and help these guys make some money, so they can, I presumably, make the pilot or something. Because fifty grand yeah, probably yeah, won't exactly. make They're a lot of episodes. Um, good, thank you. Anything else, Mark, or are we good? Oh man, uh, there's there's so much going on, but you know, just so little time. Yeah, so, so we'll 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 be continuing this conversation through time. the year. Anyway, thank you very much, Mark Matthews. Um, our undercover Hollywood missionary once again. He joined us on the phone from his home in What's Up, L.A. <laughs> Thank you, Pedro. Hi, I'm Chris Dimitrenko, and you're listening to Salt and Light Radio. You can podcast our show at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. You can also listen to it off iTunes. And did you know that there's an easy way to teach your teenagers about sex and dating in the Catholic Church? You should check out Leah Perot's and Brett Salkeld's new book, how far can we go? It's available through Amazon.com. And here now is Sheridan. Hello, Sheridan. Hello, Pedro. So today I'd like to give you a heads up about two big youth events yep. coming up in the spring. So you'll want to pull out your calendars for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cardinal Turcotte invites all Canadian Catholic youth to the Canadian Youth Summit. And it's a bilingual Canada-wide gathering of young adults from 18 to 35 who want to deepen their faith and live lives full of joy. So um, the theme for the conference is, well, the event Mm -hmm. is The Truth Will Set You Free, taken from the Gospel of John. And the event is in Montreal from Friday, May the 18th through to the 21st. And the good news is that the early bird registration deadline has been extended. So you can save $50 if you register before April the 10th. So if you register before April the 10th, the tickets for students are one hundred twenty-five dollars, mm-hmm. and for adults, it's one hundred seventy-five. And the weekend includes a pilgrimage following in the steps of founders of Montreal, a mm. Eucharistic procession downtown, a youth vigil, and the weekend will conclude with a farewell Eucharistic celebration at Mary Queen of the World Cathedral. 
Very good. And the special guest speaker on Saturday is Christopher West. And then on Sunday, there will be various speakers to who will talk about the impact of Canadian saints on society. Mm -hmm. So it's just going to be a great weekend filled with prayer, music, sharing, and of course, all these inspiring talks. And uh, there's this personal invite from Cardinal Turcotte. He says, come and bring your friends. Yes, so and you should come Monte Jeunesse or the Youth Summit is... The, I seem to say this all the time. So it's the, this is the national youth event. And I know people in, in, in the West Coast, you know, it's hard for them to get to Montreal. But if you can get to Montreal for the Youth Summit, Monte Jeunesse, you should come. This is where you need to be if you're a Catholic mm -hmm. young person in Canada. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's Friday through Monday, uh, uh, May the 18th through to the 21st in Montreal. Check out Youth summit.ca or the diocese montreal.org for details yes and chances are that salt and light will be there mm -hmm. one of us will be yes. there somebody will be there so uh come say hello yeah uh in the diocese of vancouver we've got youth day 2012 on may 4th and 5th at archbishop Carney regional secondary school and this event is for grades 8 to 12 and youth day is sort of this annual event for high school youth um in the diocese of vancouver uh, and it's just an opportunity to celebrate, grow in their faith, and, and just have a great, fun weekend of faith and fellowship. And this year's theme is called Rejoice, uh, and it's taken from Philippians. And the event begins on Friday evening with um, sort of an opening session featuring praise and worship music. And their keynote speaker will be Judy McDonald. And then on Saturday, there's going to be uh, prayer exercises, witness workshops, a soccer game. And uh, and then of course there'll be a sort of this afternoon social, and Archbishop Michael Miller will be in attendance. So that's on May fourth and fifth, Vancouver Youth Day for grades eight to twelve. Check out rcav.org for details. And then uh, just a reminder that uh, next week on Saturday, March the twenty fourth, there's a charity benefit concert for Feed the Hungry, and that's going to be at Saint Mary's Cathedral. Tickets for students are $15 and adults are $25. And the event is hosted by the Diocese of Calgary mm -hmm. Stewardship Office, Feed the Hungry, and the University of Calgary's uh, Catholic Community. So for tickets, uh, just email stewardship at calgarydiocese.ca or visit calgarydiocese.ca for more information. And that's all for this week. Good. Thank you very much. Lots going on. Those three events are important ones. Uh, thank you, Sheridan. And coming up in our second half hour, a chat with John and Andrew Irwin about their film, October Baby, and a conversation with Mexican singer-songwriter Martín Valverde. So stay tuned. Do you have kids coming of age, wondering how you're going to talk to them about the uncomfortable and awkward topic of teen relationships? A new book, How Far Can We Go, by authors Leah Perot and Brett Salkeld, is a clear, concise, and fun guide on sex and dating for Catholics. This short book is a must-read for anyone who has to deal with these questions from young people. Look for it at your local bookstores or order it online at Amazon.com. Hello and welcome to Salt and Light Radio Part 2. I'm Pedro Guevara Mann. Hannah is a 19-year-old college freshman whose world is rocked when she learns that she is the adopted survivor of an attempted abortion. This realization leads her on a journey to find her birth mother, but it is the power of forgiveness she ultimately discovers instead. This is a synopsis of October Baby, a new film coming to theaters on March 23rd. The film was written, directed, and produced by the Irwin brothers, John and Andrew. And John and Andy Irwin join me now on the phone. Welcome, guys, to Salt and Light Radio. Really, thanks for having us. I yeah. appreciate you. Glad to be here. Good. So uh, you guys have pretty much uh, worked on it all, documentaries, TV series, music videos, commercials. But this is your first feature film. Did you set out, hey, we want to do a feature film? Or did you kind of stumble on the story and said, "This, we got to do this? What was the process there for you? Yeah, that's a great question. We have directed a lot of stuff, music videos and documentaries, like you say, and um, 
it wasn't so much that we found this story. It's kind of that this story found us. I, I was aware of the reality of abortion survivors. Yeah. I didn't know that was a reality. And it kind of shattered me. And uh, I shared that with Andy. We began to study it together. And that led to us doing this feature film. Uh, we thought, you know, what if we could make an entertaining story uh, that made you laugh, made you cry, and made you, you, know, you get swept away into this love story about this beautiful girl named Hannah. But the perspective of the story is that she discovers that she is the survivor of an abortion and has right. to deal with that and ultimately find the power of forgiveness. And so that was kind of the idea, was maybe we could um, use entertainment yeah. to get people to really look at something really that we believe is really important and, uh, and merits discussion. Yeah, that's always a tricky thing when you're... Because, when you're, uh, uh, I, I mean, I haven't seen the film, but my sense is that it, it, I would say that it's a film with a message, but you don't want to start it with a message. You want to start with a good story. And that's always a fine line. How did you kind of walk that tightrope? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. I think that you know it's hard people to get uh, people to take medicine, and uh, <laughs> yeah. you know we are in the business of entertainment, and so we thought that to take on the message um, through the idea of like a documentary or something like that would be uh, really heavy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we felt like uh, to kind of become subversive and inject that into a, a coming of age age uh, love story about this girl's life and that uh, you needed to laugh as hard as you cried. To do that, you were able to bring light to some issues uh, through her story um, uh, that uh, typically you wouldn't talk about. Right. And so uh, our, enge- our um, point of our movie is not necessarily to change people's minds as much as it is to engage their heart. Absolutely. And as they emotionally connect with this character, maybe they'll leave the theater uh, kind of thinking what they feel about this topic. Right. So, I, I'm sorry, so that was that John or Andrew? I, you, I'll have to have... But <laughs> yeah, this, that was, that was Andrew. You know, our, uh, all our lives, our mom <laughs> even asked the same questions. Don't worry about it. It's, Who's uh, talking? They, they get us mixed up all the time, and they call us the Irwin brothers. We very rarely have first names, and for people like you, it's very difficult. Our voices sound a lot Yeah, you sound exactly the same. The same. So, but that's, <laughs> I apologize. No, no, not a problem. So, but John, you said that you were not familiar with, with the number of abortions survivors that that are out there i presume andy were in the same situation in my experience i think that's most people we abortion is like this thing that nobody wants to talk about or think about so so is it loosely based on any like jenna jessen's story or any one particular person or you just kind of came up with a story that made sense in terms of telling a story it is. Um, you're exactly right. It is based off of Gianna Justin's story. I would say it inspired is. by her true story. I heard her speak at a banquet. Okay. And was just that was my, the beginning of my journey. I had no idea that the words abortion and the word survivor could go together. Yeah. And uh, and I began to study her story and others like Sarah Smith and and, and several others. Mm-hmm. And just this phenomenon uh, that we have to face in our culture. It's it's a new phenomenon. You know, this is kind of the first generation in a way of abortion survivors. And um, and what do we do with that reality? And so the story is fictional, the love story. Um, yeah. And, you know, we wanted to make an entertaining movie. But everything as relates to the issue is absolutely true, absolutely happens, and we definitely need to take a look at Did you find in your research that, that there are hundreds, maybe thousands of abortion survivors in North America? You know, the amazing thing we found is that no one knows how many there are. Nobody's wow. undertaken a study. Yeah. But everywhere we take the film people say this is my story right and uh and the film has become kind of a magnet for abortion survivors in a way absolutely and we've tried to document uh, document some of their stories at uh, the website everylifeisbeautiful.com nice which is kind of an offshoot of the film because we're putting 10 percent of the profits of the movie into a fund called every life is beautiful for the purposes of uh, pregnancy resource centers and things of that nature but uh, everywhere we go um, we just find these stories coming up, and, and girls saying, I'm, I'm an abortion survivor, right. and this is my story. And in many ways, the stories are even more incredible than the film. Than so the this film. happened a lot, and I hope that the film will lead to further knowledge of how many times this has actually happened. You know how, I mean, how it's not so, so much here in Canada, but in the United States, the abortion issue is so polarizing, and it's so politicized. Are you finding it... Uh, it seems that everywhere I see about this movie, it seems that it's getting really positive comments. But uh, are you finding that there's also a backlash and people labeling you as, you know, extreme right or anti-abortion or anti-women? Or are you finding that, that it's really allowing people, the way you've approached the story is really allowing people to open their hearts to the, to the issue? Well, you know, I think I think the freedom of of our job is uh, we're not we're not politicians, we're not preachers, we're we're, we're storytellers. Yeah, uh, and because of that, it's a little bit more disarming that we're able to take a look at a topic 
you know, I, I heard a filmmaker say once that uh, uh, that the, the the good films, the really great films, are the ones that don't uh, try to force feed answers Absolutely. as much as they try to ask the right penetrating questions. Absolutely. And that's really the point of our film is is just to engage people and and to uh, to kind of shine light on a subject that a lot of people don't talk about and. Um, but, you know, we didn't do that in an angry way. We did that in a positive way. Mm-hmm. We tried to lift up the value of life and look at uh, this story, you know, instead of through a political lens, look at it through the eyes of a victim, a human story. Yeah. And in, in that terms, it becomes a lot more disarming. Uh, that said, I think the biggest backlash that we saw was, was not from the, the general public that has uh, been able to view the, the film so far, that even people that strongly disagree with our stance on the issue um, – really have not felt they they feel like it's a story uh the 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 ones that we experienced the biggest backlash from was uh was the hollywood system um Mm. the the studios uh and it wasn't out of you know a major political agenda as much as it was fear um when they saw the first cut of the film they said uh we like the story uh we like the quality we won't touch this subject. Yeah. And so, uh, that was the biggest uh, challenge but to overcome. But you have two studios that are backing you. I mean, Providence, correct me if I'm wrong, but how did you kind of navigate that? I mean, in terms of that's finding a great, distribution. That's and, a terrific question because we, we really suffered a lot of rejection, um, uh, you know, with the, with the film because of its message. Yeah. And so we actually self-funded a limited release in about 14 theaters across three states okay. last October. Yeah. And the results were so astounding. I mean, they, they blew us away. They probably it, it more than doubled our expectations mm-hmm. that it really did caught, uh, catch notice. And so several pro-life individuals stood up and said, we want this in theaters, Yeah, and we're going to fund it to get in theaters. And yeah. I'm, I'm forever in their debt. And so the, the October Baby coming out in theaters nationwide is not because of a movie studio. It's because of passionate individuals that yeah. believe in the issue of the film. Yeah. And then... After we had done that, then uh, both Samuel Goldwyn and Provident uh, came on board and said, "We're going to take this on, and um, and we're going to and we're going to market this film and get it out." So it was a great, uh, it was a really neat experience that um, you know Hollywood said no, but people that believed in the issue said yes, and yeah. we went right around the normal Absolutely. system for doing things. So that's that's really great. Uh, amazing. Now I just I just curious about the dynamic of the the Irwin brothers. Um, it seems, I would think, you guys have been working together for a long time. You work very well together. How do you figure out, you know, let's co-write or you write and I help or you direct and we direct together? I don't even know how two people can direct together. How does that work for you? Uh, we're still figuring it out. <laughs> we're brothers, which means we, uh, we argue uh, yeah. a lot. And uh, somewhere in the, you know, brother friction, there's, uh, that's where kind of our, our, our better ideas come from. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, we worked together for 18 years. And, wow. uh uh, I don't write. John writes. Uh, we co-direct, um, and we, we've got a lot of hats that we wear on a film set. We just kind of encompass that with the word filmmaker. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and we, we, you know, it's 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 kind of fun to be able to. I guess uh, there's a lot of brother teams out there that kind of do that, and each yeah. one has their kind of their own dance to make it work. But uh, uh, we have a lot of fun. And in terms of gathering, I guess the cast and crew. Did you surround yourself with people that were supportive of the cause, or you just went with you know standard procedure in terms of casting? Or how did you figure that out? Or were there any neat con- kind of conversion stories in the process of making the film? That's a great question. And you no, know, a lot of different people that make faith-based films have different opinions on this on this question. Yeah. And, um, but but for me. Um, you know, we we just want to cast uh, great actors, and we don't necessarily require them to share our beliefs, but but understand that the, our beliefs are sacred to us. Yeah. What was amazing on this film was that everybody that got involved, for whatever reason, maybe it was just because of the nature of the script that you have to kind of believe it, yeah. you know, to uh, to attach your name to it. But everybody that came on board had a deep, deep belief in, in the, the purpose of the film, which is the purpose of the film is, is, is it's a celebration of life. Yeah. And it was amazing to see people like Rachel Hendricks. is her first movie ever, and she does an incredible job. She's the lead. She, uh, plays, the lead. And, she plays Hannah? Yeah, he, she's the lead. Yeah, she plays Hannah. And, uh, you know, her faith had such a crucial role in her performance. Mm-hmm. And we saw that all over the set. I've never been on a movie where I, where I sensed such unity and such passion for a cause and for a piece of art, you know, and for a story. Yeah. And we had a great time. We almost didn't want to stop. I mean, we, <laughs> we finished a day ahead of schedule and under budget, and wow. we literally wanted to mess up the last day so we could keep going because we really came, uh, became quite a fan. That's great. So is this going to be the new thing for you guys, more feature films, or you'll see kind of where the spirit leads you? 
Well, you know, that's a great question. It's up to we say it's up to the audience now. Um, huh. you know, there's a lot going on. I feel like God's really on the move in in film and mm-hmm. uh, a lot can happen, but what we have to have is uh support from our audience. The only way we can keep making films is if we can make the films financially viable. Yep. And so we've done what we can do. We say, look, for the past 2 years October Baby has been our baby. It's been our movie. We're giving it to the audience now and on the 23rd um, just here in a few days, you know, basically it's going to be up to the audience. Yeah, and, and yeah. Mo- the way movie theaters work are, you know, if people go see the yeah. opening weekend, it'll continue to play and Absolutely. continue to impact the culture. Absolutely. If not, it's only gone before you know it. So yeah. we need to be, we need people to go out and see the movie on that March 20th. Absolutely. So that's, that's why we're doing this here today. So uh, for our listeners in the United States, go out and see the movie, find out it's playing in a theater somewhere near you. You can get more information at octoberbabymovie.net. I'm sure there's, you can find theater listings, put in your zip code. Um, and hopefully it'll, it'll also be available here in Canada and, and uh, in other countries. So thank you, John and Andy. It's been great chatting with you guys. You're doing great work, so I hope that you continue doing more feature films. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. We, we appreciate the time. No, you're welcome. John and Andrew Irwin are the Irwin brothers, the writing, directing, and producing team that brings us the film October Baby hitting theaters in the United States on March 23rd. And as I said, as of today, the movie does not have a release date in Canada, but you can learn all about it again, octoberbabymovie.net. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Martin Valverde, with his song, Nadie te ama como yo, which translates to Nobody loves you like I do. Cuando esperado este momento Cuando esperado que estuvieras así Cuando esperado que me hablaras Cuando esperado que vinieras a mí Eu sei bem o que tens vivido Sei também que tens chorado Eu sei bem que tens sofrido Pois permaneço ao teu lado Eu sei bem o que tens sentido Ainda que nunca me revele
That was Martín Valverde with Nadie te ama como yo, which means nobody loves you like I do. Now, there aren't a lot of Catholic music concerts that I've attended that have had over a few hundred people in attendance. Most of the large venues always happen at World Youth Day. But in 2001, I traveled with an artist who could easily gather over 5,000, maybe 10,000 people in a stadium. People who joined him, they didn't just come to see him, but they joined him in worshiping Christ with Mary, very often in the context of Eucharistic adoration. And that was in Mexico, and his name is Martín Valverde, and I'm very happy to say that Martín joins me now on the phone from his home in Guadalajara. Martín, welcome to Sultan Light Radio. Hello, Pedro. Hello, everybody. I am so pleasure to talk about and um, talk, talk, talk with you and talk with people around the world with, with the radio. And um, I'm glad to speak with a friend a long time. I know. It's, 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 been a, <laughs> it's been a long time, and it's, it's a little weird to speak to you in English. But that's okay. Um, tell me, um, you were not always, uh, always super Catholic. You kind of had a little bit of a conversion. And tell us a little bit about how you ended up doing Catholic music in Mexico. Well, that is correct. Um, I, 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 in all my concert, I always uh, said uh, like a joke that uh, I was a, a light Catholic, something like, like that. Light, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and uh, well, and I was born in Costa Rica. I was born in a, in a regular family with my mom and my sister. Mm-hmm. And well, and since God, part of my education was. Uh, on the family of the Salesians, people from Don Bosco. Right. And, okay, so that, that people give me the, my basement. They give me everything to work, to the, mor- the morals, the values, everything like that. Yeah. And when I was on my, after, after the high school, and yeah, yeah in, in, in the very beginning of my university, I was in the conservatory in Costa Rica, and for that time, I was talking about, 30 years now. Okay, so so sorry, so you were in the conservatory because you were studying music. That's correct. I mean, that's my career. I, that's what I studied. I, I am a musician, I'm a professional musician as well. Okay, so, and then of course when you became a follower, uh, a devout follower of Christ, Jesus Christ as a Catholic, then of course it made sense to continue as a musician. How did you end up in Mexico? Well, in 1984, uh, a priest called uh, Padre uh, Alfonso Navarro, he has a very interesting uh, System for the parish. Uh, he, he worked with uh, he, he called um, evangelization. Uh-huh. That's a word that John Paul II uh, put on the on the stage now. And, and yeah. he invited me to play a lot of concerts and in DF Mexico DF. But uh, uh, um, in the in the in the song very poor with people who need only uh, not only the gospel but uh, you know uh, all, all the things in inter in, with the uh, the help and not only the gospel, but uh, food, yeah. education, and things like that. That the, that the missions make make there. So they, this, this father invited me to play there, and for me it was a, 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 an absolute turnaround in many things, especially with with my Catholicism. Because uh, and then in that in that moment, I I can I can tell you I discovered my church working as I never saw it before. You know, in the streets door by door, helping with uh, many, many integral things with the people. Uh-huh. And well, and when I discovered that, I'm, uh, I, I felt a call. That, that was a great surprise, let me tell you, but yeah. because I never expected something like that. But uh, I, 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 I received the call to go to Mexico. And well, uh, I, I always said, when, when the people ask me, why Mexico? <laughs> I always answered them, 
Right, right, right. And that happens, that often happens, that is, you know, we are invited somewhere, it, and it's Christ inviting us, and that's where he needs us. Um, the, the Holy Father is going to be in Mexico next week, and uh, can you tell us a little bit about, I mean, we think of Mexico as a Catholic country, the church might be strong in Mexico, but maybe that's not really the case. How, how do you see the state of the church in Mexico right now? It's a very good question. It's a very good question because, uh, uh, well, I, I, we, when we make a joke here in Mexico uh, that uh, has has a many philosophical meaning behind this, that, that is, uh, you can find in Mexico more people, what we call more, more Guadalupians than, than Catholics. Catholics. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. You know that? Yeah, 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 I've and, seen that. Uh, well, uh, in this moment, the church is uh, uh, in the process of uh, uh, taking many things that uh, need to take uh, and go to the, the basis again to, to evangelize. Um, uh, I think it's, uh, it's a good moment because uh, we need, as a church in Mexico, to revolve so, so, so many things that we put aside when we need to put them from, like uh, go with the gospel, with speak with the people, and, and don't don't expect that the people come to the church. Uh-huh. It, 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 the, the option is go out to our church and talk about the gospel. But that um, you know the, the government and uh, the, the, the political way in Mexico now is is not the best. Mexico was uh, is in the middle of a real violent situation now. Right. Uh, all, all all around the country, especially on the border. Yes. And of course, uh, we need to do something about it. But I'm glad I'm glad to tell you that the church is working step by step around that. But it's, it's a moment. Uh, I think that the, the visit of the Pope will be a uh, a good new new fresh air for this for the, for this moment. Yeah, it, it usually is when the Holy Father goes somewhere. Now, are you going to be involved at all in the in the visit with any? Not this time. I was invited to be at the at the mass because they, they called me ten days ago, and I, I, I <laughs> have planned a big and a huge uh, uh, tour around the country. But the same Scott, well, I have, it was a big surprise because it was the first lady who called to my cellular cell phone to invite me to be uh, at the mass. Yeah. But, uh, with my family, just yeah, sitting there and, and, and enjoying the mass because after the mass, I have to go running to another country in the, in the, in the DF, in the capital. Right, so you'll be there. You'll be, you'll be, it'll be good because sometimes you're too busy doing your thing. And, yeah, that's a miracle. It's yeah. a miracle to be there, but I'm so glad to be even well in, in the final mass. That it's, that for me is, is enough is to to be happy. <laughs> yeah, listen, we've we've heard two of your songs already. One which I think is probably one of the greatest songs ever written, "Nadie Te Ama Como Yo." Nobody loves you like I do. Um, and we're going to be playing a, a, one of your most recent songs, which has a, an interesting name, "Wapariri." And I, th- I thought it'd be neat to uh, to ask you if you could explain a little bit of what that song is for our yes, English-speaking listeners. Sure. <laughs> it's not the first time the song said that. Even Peter and Pedro behind the mic, mic asked me, what is that? Yeah, that what song, language is that? I have a, a, the gift of my God of a, a special kid in our home. I, we have a, I have three kids, and my third one uh, is uh, one with several... Cerebral palsy. Cerebral, so you have your your third son has cerebral palsy. Uh huh. That's correct. That's correct. So he's a special guy. Uh huh. <laughs> Bring every side. He and he loves the music. He loves the music. He plays all the time. He wants to sing my songs. Uh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And when he's happy, this is most of the time. Uh, yes. He has a special expression in his lips. Uh huh. Uh, walking around the house. Wapariri, wapariri. That's what. That's what. It's. Even when you hear the song now. You're gonna hear a little guy saying that, and that's my song. That's Pablo talking right. about uh, singing, uh, singing his part around the house. And well, it's like uh, for uh, for understanding, it's like a Catholic or Christian way to say Hakuna Matata. <laughs> right, right, right. The, no worries. Yeah, yeah. no worry because God is in charge. Wapariri. So it's almost like you you wrote this with the words of your son. That's correct. That you know, many years to hear it, and in my last album, I, I, I decided no, 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 this, this, this can be only an expression. I have to make a song to speak about this. I love it, thank you, and it's a great song. So I, I hope that our listeners will, will enjoy and it. You wanna feel the, the reading? The reading, even you, you don't understand the, the word, you're gonna feel the reading. Yes, no, it is. It, it, it's a great, and it's got a great little kind of very uh, 
uh, I don't want to say childlike, but kind of youthful feel to it, the song. That is correct. It's good. Anyway, Martin, that's all the time we have, but it's been great having you on the program. Thank you so much. Enjoy the Holy Father's visit. That's always great renewal for the church. And you know this because you've been around. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's been a great pleasure to talk to you and to have you on the program. Yeah, God bless everybody. Please pray. Please pray, pray for us. We're going to be in Cuba this, this weekend. You're going to find out every, every information in www.martinvalverde.com. Absolutely, yes. So if you go to that website, martinvalverde.com, you'll find out. I mean, Martin's busy traveling all over the place. So uh, uh, you're going to Cuba before the Holy Father goes to Cuba so to, to kind of set the way. Um, thank you very much, Martin Valverde. He's a singer, songwriter, and evangelizer. Um, from Mexico, you can purchase his music and learn all about him. Again, it's martinvalverde.com. We're going to put that link on our site so you can find it easily. And here now is Martin with that song that he wrote with the words of his son, Wapariri. <laughs> And that brings us to the end of the program. Today's show was brought to you by Brett Salkeld and Leah Perot's wonderful book about sex and dating, How Far Can We Go? It is an excellent book. I very highly recommend it. We'll be speaking with the book's authors next week. If you're interested, look it up, How Far Can We Go? It's available at Amazon.com. Remember to visit our website, saltandlighttv.org, and also look for us on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for your financial support, for your prayers. We cannot do our work without you. Thank you for listening. I'm Pedro Guevara Man, and this has been Salt and Light Radio. No tiene caso preocuparse por nada. Dios es amor, el Padre que ama y que se esconde en los pequeños, burlándose de los más sabios. Y solo aquel que se haga un niño. Se lo va a disfrutar Pero debo confesarles amigos este angelillo me lo canta en forma particular Yo deduzco todo lo que les digo Por su sonrisa y su mirada tan especial Mientras se mueve por la casa cantando Yo solo escucho en su canto la voz de Dios Va disipando con simpleza los miedos Tarareando esta extraña canción Guapariri, guapariri, don don de raram. Guapariri, de bundera, bundera raram. Guapariri, guapariri, don don de